Reading Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Oh, we used to do this. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and and Arabs, in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the 11, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophecy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophecy. And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We meant it, dear Lord, when we said come, Holy Spirit. Now surprise us with what you can do through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our season of Pentecost begins. Traditionally, it wasn't just one day, it was a long season. Dwelling on the Holy Spirit's creation, really a a revolution. Commentator Willie Jennings in his commentary on Acts says the entire book of Acts is a story about the revolution of the Holy Spirit, not the revolution of God's followers, the disciples. A revolution of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing passive about that. 
which is why once upon a time the season of Pentecost lasted weeks so that we wouldn't dismiss the Holy Spirit's activity through you. On the Pentecost described here in Acts, those gathered for the special annual feast in Jerusalem came from other lands, other cultures, spoke other languages, not just one language. On that day, as the Holy Spirit was disrupting business as usual in that upper room. Of course, let's be fair, those poor disciples didn't really understand yet what usual was because Jesus kept disrupting what usual was. But on that day, on the street below, the people heard the glory of God's mighty deeds spoken in their individual national cultural languages. They looked up, they could tell by dress and by manner that these were Galileans, these were simple fisher folk. But how, they marveled, how could they speak in these different languages so that everybody below heard the glory of God in their own tongue? They marveled. So I wonder, is this a miracle of speaking? or a miracle of hearing. Both are miracles when we learn to hear something from someone we did not expect to hear from. When the revolution of the Holy Spirit gives us the right words or allows us to hear in a new way. Listening, hearing, miracles, always. We call this display of the coming of the Holy Spirit the first Pentecost. Pentecost equated with the coming of the Holy Spirit. The festival of Pentecost was writ large into the, the Jewish community. But on this day, I suggest we don't consider, you and I, do not consider this the first Pentecost, but the second Pentecost of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Background. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God orchestrated creation from the smallest to the largest creatures. God called into being with mere words. Let it be, God proclaimed, and then called each one good. God commanded the humans to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. Move along to chapter 8 in Genesis. After the flood, God spoke to the newly rescued Noah and family and said the same thing. Bring all of the animals out of the ark that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. God speaking to Noah and blessing the animals. God made a promise, a covenant with Noah at that moment when Noah built an altar and worshiped God. And God said, I will remain in relationship with you. That is my promise to you. And when God makes a promise, God does not go back on that promise. I will be in relationship with humankind forever. I don't know, maybe that was the first Pentecost depends on where you want to see the spirit moving the spirit moves throughout scripture 
So blessing Noah and his family, God commanded them, be fruitful, multiply, spread out, fill the earth. As I said, the Spirit shows up throughout Scripture, moving, helping us to follow God's command, reminding us when we do not. Reminding us of these three commands. Multiply, be fruitful, be productive. That's what fruitfulness is, being productive. Now, move, you small band of people, move and fill the earth. The people multiplied. My goodness, they were productive. They grew as our generations throughout humanity have grown and become productive. And moving was part of what they did, except this band of people wanted to stay together with one language, one set of words, one culture. And God had something else in mind. Genesis 11 may be the first Pentecost, because languages were increased from one to many. Multiple languages, diversified cultures. We see it here in Genesis 11. If you want to follow along, feel free to open up your pew Bibles. This is an apt lesson about challenging our assumptions about the way things are supposed to be, particularly with the gun violence that is happening in our nation now. People from multiple cultures are banning together to say, stop senseless gun violence. Now back to the beginning of creation, and that's We'll pick it up here at chapter 11 in, in Genesis. God did not make us one similar people. You can tell that by looking around the room, looking on Zoom. God did not make us alike in every way. God calls us to be different. And Jesus commands us to love one another, the, those that are similar and those who are not similar to our way of thinking. And that is what God asks us to do. Love someone who does not reflect my own image. I highly recommend to all of you to go back and listen to the recording of this morning's early church conversation it was brilliant and not intimidating at all. Absolutely brilliant. Listen to that discussion if you can get a copy of that recording. Because they talked about Genesis 11. And I would like to introduce maybe a different emphasis in Genesis 11, that story commonly called the Tower of Babel or Babel. It sits, the placement of this text sits right after Genesis 10, which is uh, the story of the descendants of Noah and ancestral descendants come and go because it says, look, we've got longevity and there are reasons and there are place names. And then the second half of chapter 11, 11 continues with the descendants of Seth. But here, right in the middle between verses one and nine, there's this story 
that had sat with the Israelites for generations before it was written down. And this story is God walking amongst the people, coming down out of the heavens to say, look what they can do. The story of Babel, Babel. Hebrew scholar, Dr. Ted Hebert, with whom I was, I sat during his lecture, spoke about this particular story and challenged the English word use. The English word use of confusing the languages. There are other options. My New Testament scholar and seminary said, translators are uh, traitors, which I had a very hard time swallowing but I understood his emphasis. Sometimes we need to rethink the word chosen. So if you have a, a Bible with notes, look. Is there an alternative to the word confusion, which is such a negative word to us? What if you put in differences? So perhaps multiple languages all speaking at the same time can be confusing, but is that God causing confusion or is it God opening the door to learn somebody else's set of words? I see it as invitation, not confusion. This story, according to Professor Hebert, and I follow it hook, line, and sinker, is not about a multi-storied building or tower or structure. It is about the creation of many cultures and languages. God's blessed creation of diversity, the revolution of the Holy Spirit walking through a community that spoke the same language, wanted to stick together, just as this one people, and God said, I created a multitude of cultures. Now I need you to move out. So the traditional approach to this story of the miraculous creation of a, a storied building, the traditional interpretation has been one of human pride and divine punishment in both negative terms. Our Christian and ancestors were fond of identifying self-awareness as pride, something they were quick to point a finger at in others and rarely in themselves. Pride was diminished. Instead of, instead of understanding your contributions in our ancestors, the pride was diminished as evil, so that this passage from Genesis was seen as a crime, an affront to God and God's punishment. Finger pointing is what I think our ancestors have brought to the story, rather than looking at God's beautiful, loving creation of diversity, multiple cultures, multiple tongues, honor through each. I see this story not as God coming down to see what those guys are up to, but as God being thrilled with human progress. Proud, God, proud of what humans can do. As Ted Hebert writes, the story at Babel is more likely an account of the human drive 
for sameness, like-mindedness, which stands in conflict with the divine plan for diversity. Multiply, grow, live, thrive. Be fruitful, productive. Abound on the earth. Don't just stay in one place. The people resisted, in this story in Genesis 11, resisted spreading out, moving away, being apart from one another, which is beautiful. They had built this community and they wanted to keep it. God had said, spread out. The construction of this multi-storied building has been interpreted by our spiritual ancestors as arrogance, an uprising to replace God, which is so interesting because it's not in the story unless you have a couple of verses I don't have. Multi-storied buildings and structures are commonplace to you and I. Look at our ceiling but it is a sign of accomplishment in the development of cultures. God is proud of our accomplishments. The English translation in Genesis of building, a building that touched the top of heaven, the heavens, is a translation from the ancient Near Eastern idiom. It is a, an ancient Near Eastern idiom for huge accomplishment, and there's a better way of describing it, but just between me and you, let's stick it, stay with vocabulary, I can say huge accomplishment. You'll see in your text, a tower, the top of the heaven. I'm not sure where anybody came up with the idea that humans were trying to replace God. And rather than their storied building irritating God, as if God can be irritated, which the divine cannot, God was proud of their and our accomplishments. The people worked as a community, journeying to the east, finding this valley in Shinar. They settled there. The people figured out how to build. Come, let us bake bricks. Let us burn them hard. Let us make this brick into something stronger than stone. And the bricks mixed with bitumen, which served as the mortar, allowed them to build with something that was symmetrical instead of the asymmetry of a rock. Therefore, they had sound structure. This is called development of a culture, development of a people progress. They became adventuresome. They did not have to just make walls they could add a roof, and it was so strong they could add a roof, a room on top of that roof. They learned to experiment together. They learned through making mistakes, because I'll bet a couple of those bricks did not burn hard and crumbled. They learned by helping each other through experimenting. They were made in the image of God the Creator, and when you're made in the image of God the Creator, what does that make you? a co-creator with God. God has given you these talents and these abilities. Use them in the name of the Lord God. With their buildings, they were able to store crops, protect their families, protect their animals, and they were able to identify with each other. Look what we did together. 
We can make a name for ourselves, they said. Names bring ownership, a sense of belonging, and they make a land a home. The story of the building of Babel is a story of progress and development, recognizing the wonders of God's culture throughout all of creation. Made in God's image is beautiful. Diversity is beautiful. Different sizes, different ages, different hair, different skin, different eyes. Yet, they only spoke with one language. So the great three-in-one, seeing what they could do, said, why don't we come down there so that we can see what they've done right where they built this building? Let's go see. And I wonder if God, the three-in-one, had in their mind, and then we might need to remind them that though you love working as one language, can you also work with multiple languages? Do you have to speak one language, the same language, to work together? Or can the unity of community that they had created there at Babel, can that exist when people move out with different languages? It gets harder, but it's a challenge, not a barrier. So this first coming down of the Holy Spirit was not one of those, don't make me come down there, guys. It was God saying, whoa, look what these people can do firsthand. So how a preacher reads this story, interprets the story, affects how we hear the respect God put into us for people who look differently than the image in the mirror you see. Multiple people, one language, move. Okay, guys, I need, I see what you have done. It's spectacular. And that's what I asked you to do. I also asked you to spread out. So they did. I just wonder if God, who from the distance came down up to that building in the 11th chapter of our scriptures, doesn't come down more often. And we failed to celebrate that except for on Pentecost. This is a celebration of every single worship service. God was not daunted by their secretly saying, let's not tell God that we're not gonna move away from this place. Let's just stick here together. They were not, God was not daunted by that. He just came along and gave a little nudge. I'm just gonna just change things just a little tiny bit. I wondered if God thought, if you can do this much, will you also then learn to speak each other's languages and continue to work? The coming down of the Holy Spirit never stopped. It didn't begin in Acts 2. It didn't begin in Genesis 1, because if you go back all the way to Gen excuse me, Genesis 11, if you go back all the way to Genesis 1, you're going to find the Holy Spirit moving, hovering over the waters. So the story of Babel became, became written down. It was oral tradition. It was the stuff of who these people were as they rehearsed God's story amongst themselves until that time with the prophets when people of Israel understood there's going to be an exile. 
Jeremiah's voice got to them. Joel promised them, you're going to still prophesy. Jeremiah told them, you're going into exile. You're being moved to a land with different tongues. Buy property, plant trees, have families. I am still with you. No matter what the distance is, whether it's Babylonia, Babel, Palo Alto, God is with you. That is the story of Pentecost. And you, my friends, you, my friends, are those part of everyone upon whom God has poured the Holy Spirit. Sons and daughters, you shall prophesy. You shall dream dreams. You shall have visions. Today is only a reminder that this is who you are. So keep it up. To God be the glory.